Well, g'day everybody and uh, welcome back to the Mastering Risk Management Podcast. I'm Anthony Wilson and great to have your company again today. And uh, as usual, a fascinating guest for us to chat with. So today we're talking to Darren Gallup and Darren is the CEO and co-founder of Carbide. And we're going to ask him exactly what Carbide is a little bit later on, but I'll just read uh, all about Darren from the company website. So... Um, uh, Darren is, as I said, CEO, co-founder, drives the strategic vision and direction of the company. It's an atypical tech startup um, founder. Uh, Darren started his career as a professional musician, touring with his band throughout Canada. Well, there you go. That's a a different career path. Um, That experience fueled an interest in the music's business side, leading him to found his own record label and eventually Mercato. Ask Darren how to say that properly in a minute. Uh, a successful startup whose innovative technology platform was used to manage music and cultural events around the world prior to its acquisition. While at Mercado, Darren developed a deep interest in security and privacy, prompting him to secure his certified information system security professional uh, designation and to serve as the company's chief information security officer, a role he now holds at Carbide today. Darren has since become a certified information privacy manager. Uh, the combination of creativity, business acumen, genuine interest in security and privacy, and entrepreneurial spirit underpins Carbide's culture of innovation. So, there you go. Welcome, Darren. That was a great, uh, great intro. Thank you. Glad to be on the show. <laughs> no, it's great to have you along, Darren. And it sounds like a, uh, a fascinating background. So. Uh, before we get into Carbide and uh, what they do and, and all of those sort of things, just tell us a bit about your journey. We heard musician along the way, but what took you from school years and university and that sort of stuff into to where you are today? Yeah, so um, you know, I left university fairly eager to pursue a career in music. I, I think uh, a few years out of the nest and started realizing I you know had a bit of a dream there around. Uh, the, the music thing. So I, I went at it pretty hard, uh, several different bands, you know, it's hard out there uh, to, uh, to make a living playing music, but, uh, you know, put a valiant effort in after about seven or eight years of being on the road pretty consistently, mostly in Canada, but also in the States and a few other places as well. Uh, started to do more studio stuff, producing records, recording records. Then I turned into starting a record label and uh, in the last couple of years of my music days, going back, say, 2006, 7, 8, I was actually touring a little bit in Australia as well. We had a couple of uh, acts that on our label. We had a distribution deal with ABC Records. And, um, yeah, so how do I go from there? Well, the transition from the label to Mercado, and you, so you did, yeah, I think you said that right. So Mercado was a festival management software, like a music festival management software. So I was always a pretty techie person pretty into technology, cutting edge technology in uh, my music career. I music, we were doing digital recording and digital editing pretty early in the game. And, uh, you know, we were using tools like Basecamp, uh, web, web tools, long before most people were using uh, web-based tools. And, and so, uh, you know, the idea of technology to solve logistics problems in, in the music world uh, was certainly something I was pretty, uh, pretty privy to in, in those years. And so, the idea to come up with a tech product, I mean, originally we were looking at building something for touring musicians, but it was a tough one to, to make ends meet. Um, and we transitioned over to festivals. You know, that, that, that company started off just doing some small local festivals here. Actually did some work with some Australia festivals that I had relationships with from my record label deal, uh, days. 
And uh, by 2015, we had, you know, we were probably around 200 festivals around the world and something like 18 or 19 countries by that point. So the security and privacy thing kind of came at me from two different angles during that Mercado journey. The first one is my brother was working in cybersecurity in in the law enforcement side, pretty senior role uh, in law enforcement here in Canada. And so I was hearing a lot of narrative from him about just the the persistence and the the growth of of scale and velocity of cyber attacks, uh, and you know just how much how how that's cre- going to create a lot of opportunity out there, and you know without thinking too too much about it because you know as a music entrepreneur and you know, cybersecurity it sounds doesn't sound like uh, sound like me we we then started to sign some bigger festivals at Mercado and noticed that they you know we started signing uh, Disney uh, properties and. Uh, live nation properties and and things like that and so we we started getting some some very scrutinizing questionnaires and people really looking at our cybersecurity posture we had we had several festivals while we were working with them actually experience breaches uh fairly embarrassing this is you know this is a little bit before the days of data privacy laws and the post gdpr world so a lot of people would have breaches and just get shut up don't talk about it it never happened kind of thing right but you know, the, the, certainly the, the the awareness and the consciousness around how much of a target music festivals were for a lot of different reasons, if not monetary, a lot of thrill hackers, a lot of people just wanting to spill the beans and figuring out who the lineups are before they they they're they're published and all this kind of stuff. So we just started getting hit with a lot, and it, it got to the point where we actually lost a really big deal that would have been a big expansion for us in Europe with Live Nation, and that was quite a wake up call, and it, it kind of really really got us thinking about, okay, well, I'm hearing it from the law enforcement side about how the criminal activity, now we're seeing the repercussions of that in enterprise and we are looking to expand more. And we just lost a really big deal that would have been, you know, effectively a 10% ARR improvement or growth in the company on one major deal. It would have been like a dozen festivals or something like that in in Europe. So, you know, that just kind of all of a sudden, the biggest problem in the business from my perspective was our security posture. So uh, not something I knew a ton about, but with a technical background and a logistics background, uh, you know, started started reading, learning, working with consultants, working with auditors. And over the span of about six to 12 months, put together a fairly comprehensive uh, information security program, risk management program. We, we you know, followed ISO and, and we, we uh, ended up doing a SOC 2 audit and going through all that kind of stuff. And it wasn't really that long after that that started hearing the rumblings about government, uh, you know, government getting involved and, and more specifically, just a lot of noise around GDPR. We actually had the first time I got hit with a privacy request. It was actually for Tanzania, a festival we were working down there and they were trying to comply with a new privacy or an amendment to a privacy act that was starting to uh, exhibit some of the more modern things we see in data privacy regulations. But yeah, so that's kind of how I got in. It just became a problem. And, and Mercado at the time was running really well. So I was spending a lot of time in the problem space, solving the problem. And started really seeing it after we, we once we got that posture together and I started realizing it was a concern that festivals were starting to have, it seemed like a really great marketing and sailing, selling advantage. So, you know, I, I kind of doubled down. I, I was like, okay, I learned a lot about this. I might as well keep going. And then a couple of years later, I did my CISSP and then, you know, kind of dialed that into a, really nice security report. We just got really good at being transparent, like taking security seriously and making it work in a smaller SaaS company and being able to to, to talk about it in a way that evoked trust. 
And that's really where the idea of carbide came. It just became very evident from continuing to watch the, the, the information from law enforcement showing the increase in velocity and size and scope of, of cybercrime and, and, you know, just the, looking at the economics of that and how that makes a lot of sense. And you know, now fast forward, you've got cartels involved in cyber, cyber criminal groups and there's a lot of for-profit uh, organizations out there. So it was very obvious that the, the threat landscape was going to get pretty wild and that it's going to be something that's going to drive um, selling uh, you know, the buying process in supply chain. And it just seemed like, okay, well, I just solved this problem for myself and, and, and saw some ways in which taking a different approach or a bit more creative approach can make it less painful and more, you know, less in, in, less invasive to your productivity than, than sometimes IT security professionals make it. And I thought, hell, this is a great opportunity to build a platform, build some methodology and really just help companies that, Maybe at that time, thinking back, like looking at the idea in 2016 when I originally had the idea, just looking at companies then that didn't even know this was a problem they were going to be really struggling with. And, and, and you know, of course, now here, fast forward 2023, the problem is uh, it's I think it's it's in some way getting easier to secure a business because there's a lot more security by design and default and product. But the complexity of the compliance conundrum and how all these regulations are popping up and there's. You know, you got you got the lawyers and the policymakers, uh, bureaucrats involved, and things are just uh, you know all of a sudden you look at a place like the United States, and we're going to be like, okay, you're going to be a, a, a just a federal focused company, and maybe you're small, 30, 40 employees, but you sell to an enterprise organization that has PII of people all across the United States. Now you're going to figure out how you're going to comply with you know 30 something different privacy regulations, and so you know it, it's just the complexities around that are continuing to become more burdening. Um, so yeah, we that, that's really kind of the journey. I uh, still have instruments kicking around, drums and guitars, and still play a little <laughs> bit for fun. But uh, yeah, cybersecurity, and, and, and that's where I've been now. I mean, quite frankly, I think it was 2013 uh, or 2014 when we first started getting scrutinized and started really thinking about it internally in Mercado. Um, and then, you know, 2016, 2017, uh, it was more like twenty late twenty seventeen when I started working on carbide. Nice, and it's a it's an interesting way you paint that picture, Darren. That that you know, there's been those phases when dealing with cybersecurity and privacy and all those sort of things where organisations didn't know they had a problem, and then they realised they had a problem, they didn't know what to do, and now they know they need to do something. But it's the complexity that's the the bit that they're they're trying to tackle. So maybe tell us a bit about carbide and how it goes about um, this whole challenge. Yeah, so you know the belief that we had in initially in Carbide was to create a system of of policies, controls, direction, education that would enable a smaller company and perhaps a a highly technical small company or or not, they don't have to be, but still a small company that because they're selling in a more regulated environment or they have a bigger customer base in terms of the size of their, their target profile, they're going to be hit with fairly substantial requests, right? They're going to be asked to be compliant with NIST standards or CIS frameworks or all the above, right? And, 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 and the idea that we had in just having gone through it is it, it, it seems really complicated until you wrap your head around a lot of it. And then you realize that effectively what it all distills down to is having a risk-based approach, right? And so, and, and and a lot of the problem that I saw, and this was especially the case going back 2014, 2015, 
was that if you went to look online to read about cybersecurity, it might be called cybersecurity or information security or data security or network security. And, and there was a lot of lack of clarity what certain words meant. And then you'd go in if you were not a security person or an old sort of net, older sort of old school network per- person, a lot of the policy template language would be written in ways that maybe didn't really trans translate for a, a younger company that's more cloud, more modern focus. Like, well, what's the network? Like, you know, a lot of it was written around, like you walk in a building and there's a per fence and there's, you know, there's like a, a guy at the at the gate or a gal at the gate checking you in your badge and then there's cameras and then there's like there's a network and there's like you know there's a network guys and there's all this there's server rooms and there's like a lot of it and so you 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 find all this stuff that's kind of like written in a way that's supposed to cover businesses of all size of all nature and has a lot of old school you know more network IT security type language and 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 so to translate that into a business that is trying to be agile, move really quickly, and maybe not, you know, doesn't like, what is my network? What is my perimeter, right? Where we've got 25 different SaaS platforms that make up our infrastructure. And then we have our own web application that we host in AWS. So, you know, that was really the idea was let's make this palatable. Let's simplify this in a way. And initially that started off with making really great, really clear policies, creating a good policy builder, um, you know, trying to guide, focusing on the standards and frameworks that were a little more uh, open or, or kind of gave you a bit more flexibility so you, we could work with customers to help them understand, you know, how do you care about controls that meet the, the SOC 2 principles or how do you go through and determine what's applicable or not and really establish the right controls around the, the areas where your business is at risk. And that that trend now with all the complexity and privacy regulations even becomes, I think, a stronger point for us now because we now have our own control system that we've written. Uh, it's in version 6.0 or 6.1 at this point. So it's it's a work that's been refined substantially. It maps to something like 28 or 29 different standards and regulations. And it and it just gives you the ability to, okay, these are our controls. These are the and these are the ones that are applicable. This is why all the rest of it isn't. And then you know you can really just focus on instead of getting caught up in, in, you know, sadly, we see a lot of companies spending more time on compliance and audits than they do on actually securing data and actually focusing on, on actually putting the right stuff in front of their business to protect them from the more, you know, higher impact and higher likelihood risks to their business. Now, that sounds great. And, and what would that typically look like, Darren, you get a call from a company and says, you know, hopefully it's not We've just had an incident. We need your help. Hopefully, it's the boards pushed us, or you know, someone said we've got to do something. We we think we need your help. What what would a typical engagement look like uh, when somebody gets in touch? Yeah, so we we have a couple of different ways. There's different tiers that we have in our platform depending on the needs that a business has, and that could be the size of the business, how many standards or frameworks they actually need to. Um, implement or consider in the building and, and development deployment of their security program. So there's a couple elements there. And then there's the other question of how much assistance they want. So we're a SaaS platform. So we have companies of all sizes. Uh, you know, anyway, When I say all sizes, I'm talking more in the SMB class. So small as you know, half a dozen people or a dozen people, anywhere up to you know several hundred employees. So you, know, there's, you, you can use our platform straight up alone and and then your own IT folks or your own security person or, uh, you know, somebody owns it internally and, and follows the guidance, goes through the training programs, go and implements it and use the tools. And in that case, you know, they're going in, they're answering questions the tool asks, they get, uh, it, it designs controls, 
It then deploys, it, it builds out policies, breaks it all down into project, allows you to integrate with whatever SaaS platforms or other tools you use to get some some details and analysis and start think, doing things like evidence collection and compliance monitoring across various tools. And then we have other customers that want more, they want a bit more assistance and they'll they'll, they'll go with a, a, with a package that includes a service layer as well. And in that service, basically they get, uh, they get access to security and privacy professionals that'll work with them through everything that the tool's doing and give them an additional layer of, okay, let's, you know, here's a way you can think about that or you know, help them understand all the different domains, help them understand what their optionality is, what the pros and cons are, take, you know, taking one control over another and just give them a sounding board and some more guidance. Uh, we call that a co-pilot plan and it's basically a bolt-on that a customer can put on to one of our other, one of our SaaS plans. Right. Excellent. Excellent. And is the um, is the well, not focus? I mean, you've you've had global exposure with the with Mercado, but um, is it largely North American based, or are your clients global? Where where, where are you typically? Yeah, I mean, it, it, I'd say the sales and marketing initiative has been primarily North American focused to this point. We do, however, have uh, you know, we have a decent amount of customers that have come from other English speaking places. Um, primarily Australia and the UK. And in fact, it's not too different than how my last company operated. We were, you know, mostly focusing North America, but we had, we had, we had quite a few customers in Australia and the UK. And we even have some customers from like the, the Nordic countries where there's a high degree of lingual, English literacy as well. But, but yeah, I would say about 90% of the customer base is in North America at this point. Okay. And, and how does the, how does the, the company approach, the inconsistency. I mean, you mentioned thirty plus, you know, different approaches to to privacy and those sort of things, uh, just in say the US. But uh, how do you you approach the inconsistency across uh, information security or cybersecurity regulation or those sort of things? You know, we hear sometimes you know you you take you know in Australia we have eight different jurisdictions, so you know the general approach is you take the highest one and apply that across the board and that way you you, you know you sort of can't get into into any trouble you 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 rise to the highest sort of level is is that a similar sort of approach to the the way you um approach this varying law, um, legal sort of framework yeah i mean there's a certain amount of it that could be in scope of certain use cases so an example like say you have a company that has to have pci dss in their business that's likely there, you know, if that, that's that's likely there's going to be be isolated to, and it's a very prescriptive control set. We would recommend that that's segmented out so there's a category of of controls focused on that particular operation in the business and the systems that are associated with it, where where applicable in a case like that. But in most cases, yeah, we totally it, it's it's what's the most stringent of all of the things you need to comply with just have that be the control. And in, certainly in SMB, it's it's generally more common that it's easier to do that than to start getting into segregation. Because if you're a 20 or 30 or even 50, 100 person company and you're selling a single SaaS platform, let's say, for example, the, so the idea of segregating how you deal with things becomes challenging. Now, there's some areas where there may be differences of perspective and you know, might have a standard that says that a password should have be this long and have this many characters of frameworks. You might have another standard that says that should be, you know, that's too difficult because people won't remember it and and then they'll write it down. And so then we want you to simplify it a little bit more and use passphrases and stuff. Generally what what we do in those cases is we look at the business case and go, well, there's a there's a com you have two 
different standards you need to comply with here. And, you know, certainly if they're standards or frameworks versus regulations, there's some there's differences in how you can approach this. But you know, I would say to people, you don't have to comply with everything. Um, you just have to have a really good reason if there's something you're not complying with. So, uh, you, you, for example, we've had cases where, well, we're going to pick the really stringent password, the really long, pathetically, the one you'd never remember because the company uses SSO for most things and is using a password manager. And therefore, they only really have to memorize you know, two or three passwords, their computer, their, their password tool, and, you know, maybe something else like they're, you know, so, so that's, you know, generally look at the situation. If there's a conflict, what makes sense? Is there a requ- is it a regulatory requirement? And usually where you find, usually with cybersecurity, that's pretty easy to do. And then if you're doing a report for one of the standards, you can just mark like, you know, control 2.3.1 or whatever it is. We do, we do not do this. We use this control. This is why. And these are, you know, here are details of any compensating control. And, you know, generally that works in security if your logic is thoughtful and you're, 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 you're applying best practice for your use case and, and, and you're documenting things. Where it can get a little more complicated is when you're talking about privacy regulations. And generally what we do there is there's a lot of overlap, certainly. Um, I think the biggest challenge in privacy is things like what is defined a breach. So in one state, it might say 500 records is a breach. Another state might say 10 or more records. One might say it's a thousand records. So, you know, when you, when you start thinking about, well, what's going to be the approach if you have a breach in your whole database and it's not going to be considered a breach in state A, but it's going to be considered one of state B. But, you know, you obviously can't just tell the people in one state without it. So, you know, like some of that stuff, you kind of have to think through some scenarios and then the other one that's challenging often with data privacy is almost every regulation has some different way that you're supposed to notify people of a breach, right? And an order, like maybe you have to contact a state representative first before you, or you don't have to at all, or you're supposed to go to the press or, you know, so that's the one that's gotten to the complexity degree now, actually, where there's even a whole service layer of companies that just do breach management. You pay them like insurance they have lawyers, they have all the processes. So we had a data breach and here's the here's the breakdown of records by citizenship and they have a model and they literally run through and, and they, you know, engage with you in that way and they engage by the, the from the lawyer so that, you know, you don't have IT people that could be subpoenaed to, to come to court and you get that, you know, so so that that's the air, like the, the data privacy era that we're in now, honestly. I like cybersecurity more because it seems like you can have logical, you can make logical decisions and you can articulate them. And if you, if the thinking behind it is good and you're taking, you're not always taking the easy route, you're taking a thoughtful route. You're usually good in the, in, in you know, from a cyber compliance or audit perspective, but the, the privacy stuff is, a, is, 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 is not as uh, straightforward in my opinion, when it comes to that. Yeah. And, and uh, they're probably um, becoming a lot more intertwined you know, privacy, cybersecurity uh, type things, and 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 I noticed too uh, here, and I presume it's uh, similar in North America that the the um, insurance and the underwriting industry is certainly wanting to play a part in that response process, and you know, because it's good for them, obviously, if something gets resolved quickly and gets resolved efficiently, and and they're not putting their hands in their pockets if they can avoid it as well. So they want to be part of the solution as well. Yeah, and I mean, if you look out there. In fact, I would I would say that a lot of companies do that part the worst, like how they respond to an incident and how and, and, and you know, on a couple of levels, on the legal level, on the technical and the forensic level and on the on the ethics and, and trust level. Like, you know, there's a lot of companies we've seen 
be be fairly uh, withholding of information, and that certainly doesn't work right. But you know, there's also companies that violate regulations, and yeah, I, I think that's an area. And insurance now getting involved. Any insurance company that's giving that's writing policies that include cyber insurance, they've if they've been doing it for any amount of time, they've uh, they've seen they've got the they've got the war stories to take from it, right? So we see, you know, how you see that that happening now is. It used to be just some basic questions, but we're now we're seeing a higher degree of scrutiny around businesses. Rates are going up, of, of course, as well. And yeah, and some of them even have. I've seen cases where you have there's certain process you have to follow follow in the incident in the event of an incident, or you may not have the coverage you think you cover. Some of them have their own, uh, you know, their own BCDR uh, disaster recovery type. Um, wings that you're supposed to go with, or some of them may require that you have a partner for that. So, I mean, it makes sense. How you respond to an incident is is fairly fairly significant. I mean, if you're if if you're in business for a long period of time and you have any degree of of target around you, and you know most businesses have quite a in, in the world of hacking for for business, like the black market of just making money. If you're business and you make money, if you think you have nothing to hide, think again. And it's you know it's it's you really do have to uh, you need you need to have this stuff set up and 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 you need to respond to these things properly. And I think a lot of companies because the reality is you're going to be it's going to happen. It's not a question of it's not a question of when. It's a question or or if it's a question of when. And then you know sometimes people will say, well, well, why do we even do the security in the first place? Well, that's like okay, you're probably going to get an accident in your life when you're driving. At some point, you'll get in an accident. But if you take certain precautions, you wear your seatbelt, you drive a certain way, you know, you, you, you maintain your car, the chances of getting hurt are a lot less. But also, if you get in a car accident, when you're doing nothing about it, it's it's akin to going out and drinking six beers and smoking a joint and getting behind the wheel. You have a car accident in that situation. It's a very different situation than if you, you know if you have your license and you're sober and you're following the law. And you know, so so how you how you navigate this stuff as a business is is really important and. Yeah, eventually at some point you're going to have an issue. And and I think Darren um nowadays everybody's a I think to borrow a again a North American expression everybody's a Monday morning quarterback. Um yeah. you know the the incidents happen they'll all be picking over the bones to say well what did you do? What had you done? What did you, you know, put in place? What where were your controls? What are the systems you used? You know, how did you think about this before it happened? And and if you if you you've come up empty in that in that conversation it's going to look pretty bad for you. Yeah. So, Darren, um, what's it like, uh, I guess, uh, with that SMB market or SME as we call them here, is that an easier sell uh, to convince people because it's a bit of a tighter knit group or is it a harder sell because they say we really don't have the money to spend on this stuff or whatever else? I'm just curious about the difference between that the corporate approach that you would think's got money to to burn but maybe is a bit more harder to get moving. Uh, What's the... SM, SMB market like? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I actually, you know, don't have experience selling to enterprise. So I, I have no idea what selling security products to enterprise is like. What I would say about the SME businesses is that what's, what's facilitated selling to them is that they're being put in a place where they can't proceed on their strategic objectives without it. So it's like you said before. Maybe it's a new investor that's like, "Hey, we'll do this, but you know, you guys need to tighten all this stuff up. We want to see you get an ISO twenty seven zero zero one certification." More often than anything, it's the customers. It's their customer mandating them, wanting to see security audits, 
wanting to see that they have a program in place. And more recently, I would say insurance uh, upping the game in terms of what they require of businesses before they'll actually underwrite a plan. That's driving it. So because it becomes, because it's, you know, unfortunately it's not like, okay, we really want to tighten up our security posture. It's like, hey, it's becoming a problem in our sales cycle, or we can't close our series B round unless we do this, or we can't get an insurance and we have term sheet or terms and our, you know, our business needs insurance and our customers mandate that we have insurance. So it's usually, it's, it's, that's usually the reason. And when that's the reason things move quickly. And I think that's what I like about SME the most is that the the decision-making process is generally faster. Yes. Yeah. They seem to be a bit more focused and, uh, when something yeah. needs to happen, it's not it's not fourteen committees that have to sit. They don't have a committee. <laughs> they don't have to get a documented plan. They don't have to go out and get four proposals or whatever their process is. Now, the on the flip side, you know, you're not you're not charging two hundred fifty thousand dollars a deal either. So your deals are smaller. You need more of them. So you know, it's a it's definitely a different type of business for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and there's um there's a nice thing about those smaller businesses in the in the way they they have some inertia and can get moving and and are a bit more agile, so they can uh, change direction as they need to as well, which is great. Um, uh, Darren, so the the uh, the question that I like to ask all my guests is is just for the younger listeners or people starting out. So if you were to give a young person some advice about getting into cybersecurity and this whole space, what what advice would you give them? Some tips. It's it's fascinating. I, I get this. I get asked this a lot because I do some mentorship here with a with a group, and you know, I end up mentoring some of the uh, young entrants into the security space. And you you need to get experience. So, like, get out there and get experience, whether it's internships or you know, whatever you you can get. The other thing I would say is like, think about all of the other things that you might have that you've done. Like, I, I end up meeting a lot of people that have maybe had another career previously and then they changed, they're trying to change and getting into cybersecurity. And it's like, maybe they have skills that, that are very valuable in cyber. And, uh, you know, I think it depends to what type of, like, what do you want to do in cyber? It, it's, it's a big world. There's a lot of jobs in cyber. Like us, you, you could go in the auditing world where you can, you know, be a, an auditor. You could, do you want to be an enterprise where you may be able to be more specialized in a certain area? Or do you want to go into SME where you, you might have to do, you are the security program and the privacy program. So you're literally going, doing everything from, you know, making sure it's picking the awareness training program to, um, you know, configuring, hardening uh, your AWS environment to making sure that all the, like, you know, that's, that's the one I always try to tell people to go, but there's, there's a lot of opportunity out there. I think the challenge though, is that a lot of the opportunity is looking for more experienced senior folks, right? So when you are new and you, you don't really have the, the the life experience or the actual in-business hands-on experience, you've got a two or a four-year program in cybersecurity. You got to get out there. You got to just, just make relationships, go to conferences, meet people, find internships, get some exposure, um, you know, get some time at the wheel uh, under your belt, right? You learn a lot. School is great. You learn a lot of stuff, but, you know, I, I'd argue that the, school, the, the schooling part, the studying part of cybersecurity for me was formational. I would say a lot of the life experience, but also drawing on the other areas that I had, like all the stuff I knew about IT, all the stuff I knew about networking, like, you know, all the stuff you know about people, leadership, right? Like things, all these things that you can drive from other work that you've done can be a big playing part in, in this place. But you got to network, you got to get out there, you got to get experience. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's nothing. There's nothing like hands-on rolling up the sleeves. Hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, yeah, and getting uh, you know some kilometres under the un, under the speedo, as it were, in in terms of experience. So um, yeah, no, that's a uh, that's a great tip. Thank you for that. Now, Darren, um, the website www.carbidesecure.com, That's correct, I gather. That is yes. That's the one to, to for people to get in touch to you, and um, I believe you've got a special offer going as well at the moment. So uh, if people mention uh, this podcast, you get fifteen percent off your annual subscription. So that's pretty generous as well. So I think that's a that's a great offer. So thank you for that. So they can uh, contact uh, Carbide via that uh, website www.carbidesecure or all one word. Dot com and book a consultation and, and get some advice from uh, yourself and the team. So that sounds like a great offer. And I presume, Darren, you're on LinkedIn and all of those sort of things if people wanted to reach out? Yeah, LinkedIn definitely is the, the one I'm the most uh, active at. So anybody can reach me on LinkedIn. Happy to connect with folks. Yeah. Yeah, excellent. Excellent. All right. Well, that sounds great. Um, uh, website details there, and I'll put them again in the show notes. So don't forget, there's uh, that great offer um, that uh, that Darren and the team have got uh, for you there with that 15% off your annual subscription, which sounds like a, a great deal. So Darren, thank you very much. Um, great pleasure talking to you and to hear all about you, your story and the, the team at Carbide. And for those uh, small to medium businesses out there, sounds like a, a, a phone call uh, or, or a, a visit to the website is certainly in order. So thanks very much for your time. Thank you. Great to be on the show. Thanks, Darren. And listeners, thank you again for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed that session. Uh, don't forget to check out that um, that Carbide website. That sounds like uh, a very worthwhile uh, uh, five or ten minutes to get on, have a look at what the, uh, the offer is and uh, see what they can do for your business as well. Thanks again for tuning in. Uh, lovely to have you listening and uh, we will talk again soon. Cheers. Cheers.